how many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo? Yeah? All right, not enough of you, I see. Uh, no, in Finding Nemo, we meet these funny characters, uh, the seagulls. Does anybody remember the seagulls? What's their favorite word? All right, watch this video real quick. I'll pray, the altar's open and we can leave. No, I'm kidding. Uh, some of us are more like these seagulls than we care to admit. Uh, we become so obsessed with consuming that we get stuck in the pursuit of what we believe is mine. We're not paying attention to what's ahead of us. We're not paying attention to what's around us. All we see is what we want, and we do whatever we can to get it. And once we get it, we consume it, and then we're looking for the next thing that is mine. And then we find it, and then we get it, and then we consume it, and then we look for the next thing that we could make all right. In this I Love My Church series, we have been looking at what it means to be, uh, uh, why we love our church. Uh, we, we love our church because we're family. Uh, we love our church because this is our holy community. We love our church uh, because in here we find unity in who Christ is and what the Spirit's doing in us. And today I want us to look at uh, another aspect of our church, of why we love our church, and that is because we are a generous people. Uh, so let me pray, we'll jump in, and we'll go from there. <clears throat> Father, would you make known to us today, uh, God, your heart for your people. Would you remind us uh, of, of the characteristics and the attributes of who you are? Remind us that you've called us to be like you. And God, build in us uh, the kind of perspective, the kind of heart, the kind of mind. Uh, Lord, would you form our souls to being the kinds of people that you've called us to be? Uh, who, who live in this life the way you've called us to, to point people to you and give glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the church is a generous people because we serve a generous God who gives generously. And in this, what we find over and over uh, is a God who gives, a God who blesses, a God uh, who so loves the world that he what? Okay. Not just money, though that's going to come up. It is the idea that everything we have, everything we are, everything God's provided, all of the resources made available to us have a purpose. That there is a way that we carry ourselves so that we handle the things God's given us differently. James chapter 1.16 says this, Don't be deceived, dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift we have has been given to us by God. Money, time, your talent or your abilities, the things you do that you think add value to you or make you valuable to someone or something else, everything God has given us is a blessing given to us to bless someone else with. Genesis chapter 1, 28, we meet these creatures called humans. And in Genesis 1, 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Right out of the gate, the thing God tells us to do is to give, to bear fruit. Why? Because when fruit grows, it blesses 
other people, to multiply so that it doesn't just stay here, it goes to fill the earth and to subdue it. In Genesis 1, God creates human, places them in the garden, and tells them to live generously, uh, to be the kinds of people who have an eye beyond themselves into what's possible, not to devour everything, but to be fruitful and to multiply. To Abram, a few chapters later, in his covenant promise, God explains the mission of the blessing. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God says, I will make you, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. All the families of earth will be blessed because God has blessed you to bless them. Get it? From the very uh, creation of God's people into the calling of this uh, uh, line out of Abraham that's going to grow is this reminder not to consume and devour and to hold on to and to be stingy with and try to figure out how it serves you, but to figure out how it blesses others. An underdeveloped theology and an underpracticed obedience leads to a lack of generosity in God's people. Our biggest misstep often is that we live with a mistaken ownership. We did the work with our talent to make our money. We earned the resources. Then we get to decide what to do with it. Why? Because it's mine. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Colossians, Paul reminds us in chapter 116, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Remind me again what's yours. God knew that our, what our tendencies are. He warned Israel before they entered the promised land, a warning they did not heed. And so as they go out of Egypt and before they get into the promised land, we hear this in Deuteronomy 8.11. God tells his people, remember, this is prepping them for what they're about to experience. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. It's a good reminder. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you to this day, Otherwise, right, here's the liability. Otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and you settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your gold and silver increases and all that you have is multiplied, here's the warning. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, who led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you out, or brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so at the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. 
But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms this covenant which he swore to his ancestors as it is today. You, get, you see God knows us? He knows what he's delivering us out of. And the tendency we would think is, man, now that they know what it's like to be there, they would never do anything like that again. Except for he knows all they need is a little bit, and all of a sudden they'll want a little bit more, and then all of a sudden comfort becomes a moving target. And it's never enough. And so when you've built these beautiful houses, and when you've got the money, and you were able to buy the car, and when you finally moved into the neighborhood, and finally, when you feel like you're there, here's the liability is that you can become so much wrapped up in what you've done that you forget everything that God's done. God knows the liability of blessing. We have the tendency to forget who brought us out of where we were and gave us what we have. To a brother asking Jesus to intervene in his dead father's estate, Jesus responds this way in Luke chapter 12. He said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. Be on guard. Get it? Heed a warning. Watch yourself closely because this can happen. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do because I have nowhere to store my crops? Notice, this is about the overflow. He's already made what he needs. His barn that he's been using for for maybe generations is full. And now there's extra that he doesn't know what to do with. The margin of excess beyond what he needs. The barns have worked fine up until now, but will not hold the abundance his farm has produced. So what does he do with the extra? So he says this. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, I don't know if you ever talked to your soul, but he says, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, pay attention to the question, whose will they be? Not what happens to them. Not what happened to all the things you bought or the stuff that you have. Who does that all go to? Get the question? So is the one who lays up his treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You get the issue is a consuming rather than a giving. It's a posture of what more can I get rather than what more can I give. He could have planted more. He could have gave away more seed. He could have helped someone start a farm with all he's been blessed with. Mind you, in this story, all of his needs were met. This is where we all need to focus. What do we do with our margin? What do we do with the leftover? What do we do with the excess. Too often, we try to figure out how to gain more and raise our standard of living. Bigger, better, right? If I got a little bit more money, then we could do this. If I had a little bit more money, then we could do this. If I had a little bit more money, then I could do that. A little bit more money, a little bit more, a little bit more, and all of a sudden, 
a little bit more never stops. So with our money, we try to raise our standard of living. With our time, with the time we've been given, find more things to do that keep us continually exhausted and busy. I think one of the biggest detriments of our time is that we're afraid of letting people be bored, especially to the young parents in the room. That there has to be this ongoing drive to keep going. Here's the reality. We don't have time. Have you ever said that? I, have, I don't have time for that. Or I don't have time for these things. Time is not yours. That belongs to the Lord. You've been given time. We steward time. The question then becomes, how well are we doing at giving our time to the places where God wants us to and where he uses it best? But we devour it and we consume it, and we plow our way through it, and it becomes Friday evening, and we're trying to figure out what just happened again. I want us to all think about this, think about from whom it all comes from and how rarely we manage it in the way he is asking. Too often, we all want to belong to a generous community, but without having to become generous people. You know what I'm saying? I want someone to give me that. I just don't want anyone to ask me. I want to be able to be blessed by it. I just don't really want to like contribute, right? I hope that this is what's going on, right? Though I don't want to have to show up with anything of my own. As we're looking at church, as we're looking at this church, and maybe some of you are looking for a new church, maybe some of you, this is your 300th stop in the last couple of years trying to find a new church, I want to remind you that the, the qualification for us in finding a faith community should not be, what are we getting from them? Do I like their music? Do I like their preaching? Do I like their coffee? Do I like the colors that they used in the building? Do I like how easy it was for me? Do I like their parking places? Do I like this? How often have we stopped and wondered, is this the kind of place where God could use my gifts? Is this the kind of place where I could contribute? Is this the kind of place where I could give away what God's given me? Is this the kind of place where I can give without expecting anything in return, knowing I'm in a community of people who are giving so I don't have to? In this, what we're looking for, what we're finding, if we had time, listen, Moraine, we could go for hours hearing testimonies just in this room about how God has blessed you through others' generosity. If we had a microphone and we set it up front and just said, hey, uh, whether you like public speaking or not, that's off the table. But if God has generously blessed you through people, would you get up and share that story? How many of you would have one to share? Because God's called his people to be generous, and we've received the goodness of that. I, in high school, there was a, um, I, I just started going, a friend of mine that I played football with invited me, uh, so it was Wednesday night, there was pizza, we played dodgeball, it was all things incredible, right? Uh, and then that summer, there was an opportunity to get away. I lived in Springfield, downstate, and there was an opportunity to go to Michigan. I'd never been to Michigan, and it wasn't Springfield, so it sounded like a win-win, and the only problem was, is it costs like 300 some dollars to go on this, uh, this camp with our, or this conference with our youth group. Um, and I didn't even ask my mom because I knew, you know, I didn't know, but I assumed how that was going to go, right? Uh, and I remember this, I remember our youth pastor saying, hey, listen, I've got someone who wants to cover it for you, 
If, if you didn't have to pay for it, would you go? For sure I would go, right? Here's what I didn't know is because of someone's generosity that allowed me uh, to be able to go to this camp, I uh, uh, encountered the Lord in a way that I had not growing up in church at that point. I received Christ as my Lord and Savior and uh, dedicated my life to serving him for the rest of it because of the generosity of the church. There's stories in this room. There are things you have no idea what you've given and where it's gone and the impact God's done with it. And we love our church because we see God's generosity multiply what we're able to give as he throws it all over the place. So we get to live and move in this place called the church, like Moraine Valley, where we get to experience the goodness of of receiving, but also the goodness of giving so that others can have what God has given us to give. When we're all generous together, we all receive from what we all give. Jesus helps us flip our cultural idea about generosity upside down. In Luke chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Jesus looked and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. In the Greco-Roman world at this time, like us, they believe that generosity is measured by the size of your gift. What Jesus does here in this encounter is points our eyes towards something different, God's perspective, where generosity is measured not by the size of your gift, but by the size of your sacrifice. In response, in a response to what God's done, I want us to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 for the rest of our time. Paul is writing a letter, a second letter to this church in Corinth. He's got a relationship with them. He's walked with them. They're aware, seemingly, of of all the work that uh, is happening around uh, the area at this time. And it looks like, if we were to take a step back, uh, that this church in Corinth has been a part of Uh, contributing, being generous so that the work can expand, so that people can go, so that people can hear and receive the gospel, and so more work of God can be done. And I want us to look at it through this. There's some shifts that we need to make culturally, just like the time of Jesus, from what we think to God's perspective, how we see things to how God sees things, how we assume they're supposed to be compared to how God wants us to have our default so that this is how we perceive the world around us. The first shift I want us to look at is this, is we need to shift from scarcity to generosity. And this is about faithfulness. What do we do with what we've been given? We shift from a place where it's about um, uh, me getting because I don't have enough, and so when a little bit more comes, I consume that, and a little bit more comes, and I consume that, and a little bit more comes, and I consume that, to a place where it's, here's what I've got. God, what do you want me to do with this? How would you have me live faithfully? How would you have me steward this? Lord, where do you want your money to go? Where do you want your time that you've given me to go? God, this personality and these gifts and talents and experiences that I've walked through, how do you want to use all this 
to give away. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says, now I say this, the one who sows sparingly, right, he's using farming analogy, this idea that you would reach your hand into a bag, grab some seed, and just throw it out, right? So that's the idea of sowing. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. It makes sense. If you grab a little bit and you throw it out, that's the little that will grow, right? If you're stingy with the seed, what comes out of it is going to be a stingy crop. But then he goes on and says, and to the one who sows generously will also reap generously, right? If you're in there like a a little kid in a candy bowl with two hands, just grabbing handfuls and just throwing it out, then that's going to be the amount that is reaped. With another translation of the Greek could read like this, the one who sows with blessing will also reap with blessing. The logic plays out. If you give more away, more returns. If you give less away, less returns. Here's often the breakdown. It's we don't know what happens when we give. And because we don't know what happens when we give, we don't want to give. It's almost like a farmer saying, well, there could be another drought this year, so we better not plant anything. There might be a flood that happens, and so we, it's not even worth the effort to give, and we don't know where it's going to go, right? And we start judging everyone's motives and how they're going to handle it, and don't give to that person. You don't know what they're going to do with it. Now, there is a wisdom that the Lord's given us to discern the people around us, but too often that gets turned into a, a crutch for us to stay living in a, much of a selfish mode. I, I like this image that I've seen uh, Craig Rochelle use before, and it looks like this. Uh, We start with this place, God gives. Are we all in agreement? Just checking. God gives. He is the supplier. Everything on heaven and earth, uh, visible and unseen, those in thrones, and right, we all read the verse. Everything we have is because the Lord has given. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. He's the giver. He's the giver. What happens is, here's one option. This would be the scarcity mindset that can mess with us. Is he gives, we consume, right? We, we just take it all in. And then we lack because we just consumed it all. And now we're afraid because we don't have enough. And so that when God gives us more, we just do what? We just consume it. We devour it. And all of a sudden, do you see this cycle playing out in life? God gives, we take, we consume, we hold on to it, and all of a sudden, now we don't have anything. Why? Mine, 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 mine. We just ate it. And then all of a sudden, now we're afraid because we don't have anything. And then lo and behold, the Lord shows up because he keeps giving even when we don't deserve it. And what do we do? We keep this going. Here's another option, and I think this is the one Paul's getting at, is God gives, and then we give. And remember, this is with our extra. This is with that margin. It's the idea we could live with less. So what do we do from the the area of our need to what we have? What do we do with that? God gives. We give. God multiplies it beyond anything we could have ever done, right? The sower who sows sparingly uh, reaps sparingly, who sows generously starts reaping what? generously God's multiplying that right if you're planting corn how many ears of corn grow on a stalk one how many kernels are on that one piece of corn 
100. Get it? So all of a sudden, you're able to do more with what you were get. All of a sudden, things start going. One apple seed, you get the image, turns into an apple, right? An apple tree, which produces apples. And in each apple, there's probably between five to seven seeds. And each of those five to seven seeds then has the potential to go out. We give, we sow, we give away. God multiplies all over the place. Then all of a sudden, well, if I can trust God to do that, I can keep trusting God to do that. And so my position is, I want to keep giving because I've seen God multiply. It's emboldened my trust in him to know I can handle more with him so he can multiply. You get it? Living by consuming everything lacks trust in God's provision and it removes God's purposes. Generosity combines trusting in God's provision and leaning into God's purposes with our life. The second shift we need to make is this, if we're going to be a generous church, from obligation to gratitude. This is about our motive, about why we give, why we share, why we're generous, why we hand off, why we uh, entrust the Lord with it. Now, let's say this week I come home with flowers for Ray. Everybody swoon. Thank you. That's for my own ego. I come home, I got flowers for Ray, and she does the thing like you just did and says, oh, wow, these are beautiful, thank you. And I say something like this, uh, well, I've noticed that you get in a bad mood when I haven't given you flowers, uh, so I'm hoping this gets you off my back. <laughs> are you still swooning? You want to know why? Because our motive matters. If I were to hand them to Ray... And I were to say, man, I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about you today. And I actually left early so I could run to the store uh, and grab flowers for you just so I could come home and let you know I've been thinking about you all day. And I just wanted to let you know, even when I'm not with you, I love you. There it is. <laughs> there it is. But I'm a smart guy, so I just shut up and hand over the flowers and let her assume what she wants, right? No. <laughs> the point is this. Yeah. <laughs> There's the word right there right? Why? Because our motive in our giving matters. God knows this. It's expressed throughout the church. This isn't just obligation. Uh, throughout the Psalms, we hear this refrain, I don't need your offerings. I'm, I'm not looking for the actual things you're providing. God's looking for a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He's looking for something in here that's got a motive that's connected to the Father, that's connected to the giver, that's connected to the Lord over all creation, that, that calls us out of a gratitude to give, not just because we're supposed to. Motive matters. Your generosity towards God is about some obligation or is it out of a deep gratitude? Paul asked it this way or says it this way, each one must do as each has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. You love that Paul's not commanding them to do anything. He's not forcing them or even, even pushing on it. What he is saying is this, guard your heart and watch how you're giving because what flows out of that is the kind of stuff that God's gonna use. God knows us deeply. He knows our thoughts. He knows our feelings. He knows our convictions. This isn't about what we have to do. It's a response to what we are joyfully able to do in return to what God has done and given for us. 
Obligation will frustrate your mind and it will harden your heart. And I've known this. I grew up in church. I've been around people like us for a long time. And when people give out of obligation, all of a sudden they've got opinions on everything, right? It's like, well, I, 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 I showed up for all these things and so now I get to say something I want and you have to do it. I'm sure Moraine's a better church. I'm just saying the churches I've grown up in are, are like that, right? Uh, because this is mine, right? I, I've, because I feel like when I put this in that I should get something in return, here's my expectations. It's different when you give because of what God has done in you, what God has done for you, what God has done around you, and how God has worked in you, all of a sudden, it's easy to give, trust the Lord to multiply, wait for him to give more, and give that away in the same way. Why? Because he's already done enough, and I don't need anything else. The third and last thing is this. To be a generous church, we need to make some shifts from our ability to God's ability. What are you able to do? Like, honestly, I, and it, listen, I hope you think you can go conquer the world and that you're an unstoppable, I hope all of that for you. But there's a reality where your limit stops. What are you able to do? What are you able to give? What are you able to hand off? And then the return question becomes this, what is God able to do? What's God able to give? What's God able to multiply? This is about produce. Whose ability are we actually leaning on? If I keep it, I'm leaning on my ability to do what I think is right so that the way my brain works and the way my heart's set up lines up my gift to do the thing that I want it to do. There's a lot of control in that sentence, right? Versus a kind of posture that leans on God's ability that says if he can do it, he can have it. Right? If Warren Buffett said, hey, if you give me uh, your retirement, I'll, I'll manage it for you. I got you. You'd be like, you know what, buddy? It's yours. You got this, pal. Right? Why? Because he seemingly has some level of trustworthiness in how he manages finances. Agreed? Uh, what we're asking is, do we lean on what we're able to do or do we lean on what the Lord is able to do? When you've been given extra time, when you look back, how well did that go? Just this last week. Was it multiplied in the kingdom, or did you make good on your investment into Netflix? Right? How often uh, were you scrolling through Facebook rather than pouring yourself out with the extra time, that margin that you've been given? The question is what we're doing with our margin between our need and our capability. How consistent are you? How joyful and at peace are you with those around you? What do you have to show for it, and is it good enough? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we're reminded, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. As good as you think it is, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and it's him who's going to make your path straight. I think this is probably one of the hardest things for a human to do. Because I'm a, I, listen, I, I'm not very competitive, but I love to win an argument. I, I will lose at a game, but I will not lose in a conversation. You get me? Don't try that this week, please, okay? All right? Because it's easy for me to lean on my own understanding. 
because I've already thought through 1,700 ways this could go. I've looked at, in my mind, like all the liabilities, all the ways it could go great, all the ways it could go wrong. I've overanalyzed this thing seven times over, right? And so then I think, well, I've got this. Until I've seen what happens when you give it to God. When I've given him time, when I've given him energy, when I've given him my resources, when I've trusted God with our finances, when I've given what God's given me and I pour that back out and I say, God, what, what could you, here's what I see. I'm rarely looking at, wow, Don, you do really good when you give it to God. What I'm looking at is I could have never done what the Lord did. I could have never made what happened what he made happen. There's not a chance that if I held on to it, any of this stuff would have been mine, but in his hands it all belongs to him, and he receives glory. Henry Ford, the great prophet, I'm kidding, he's not, right, said this, if you always do what you've always done, English teachers, forgive him, you'll always get what you've always got, right? Some of us, we've consumed, 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 and devoured, and devoured, and we keep getting the same thing over and over and over, and the encouragement is, what if we stopped that and started trusting the Lord, and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge Him, and He'd be the one that makes that path straight so that it keeps happening the way He's called it to. First, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, right? The first four words are my favorite, and God is able... God is able. It's him who's able. He's pointing us to be reminded of not what we see here, but what God's able to see there because he is able to make all grace overflow to you so that, right? Here's the reason. Always having all sufficiency in absolutely everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad and he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Do you get the image? God has poured out everything so that when you give, what God does is I will keep giving to someone who gives. I will keep funneling through someone who does that. I will keep producing fruit. I'll keep showing up. The difference is how good are we at letting go? Because when I'm holding on to it, it's about my ability. When I let go of it, now all of a sudden I have to trust it's up to his. But then we read this and we find out what God's able to do. All grace overflowing to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. When God has put stuff in advance for you to do, you are already equipped, ready to go for everything that it requires. Why? Because God's given the grace for you to do it. But you can't if you're too busy, or too tired, or don't have enough in the tank, or you don't have enough money, and it's not because God didn't give you enough, it's because you spent it already on other things. Or you've got a wish list on Amazon that you're trying to plow through before you really get to what God's list is. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us produces thanksgiving to God. Paul's being reminded when this gets used for kingdom purposes, watch what happens because people don't look back and say, wow, that church in Corinth, I don't know how we could have done this without him. It's people that are able to say, we prayed, we asked the Lord. He used 
people that were his to funnel blessing through so that people like us could have. Are you a witness of receiving that goodness? The reason for us getting more is not so we consume, it's to supply our generosity. If you live this way, if you give this way, it produces gratitude to God. Moraine Valley, we are a generous church, not because we have more, but because we give more. In this room, there's stories of people who have gave and received jobs, cars, opportunities. People who have given and received care, time with each other, prayer, love, through serving, devoting through each other. There's people in this room who, through, who have been generous with forgiveness and grace, who have been generous with truth and guidance, generous with your finances so we can give generously. Watch your margins carefully between your need and what you have. The space between what you need and what you have needs to be surrendered to God and carried out in obedience. You are God's child. This is God's time that he's given you. This is God's money that he's given you. And before you exhaust yourself giving your time away, ask, God, am I using this time for your purposes and how can I give you more? Before you spend your money, ask, God, am I using this money for your purposes and how can I give you more? In the gospel, con- er, sorry, in the context of Exodus chapter 13, uh, God's instructing his people on how to enter into this feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread to remember the quick exit from Egypt's slavery into the land of promise. The idea is this, is the instruction is you are going to take the firstborn of your livestock and sacrifice it to the Lord, firstborn male, Right? Uh, the idea that you've waited and finally, finally there's something that's come out of the waiting, right? Having two cows is great. Having three cows is greater. You get it? Because that third cow is going to ensure that maybe there's going to be more cows. And all of a sudden you've waited and that cow shows up and then all of a sudden we got to start wondering, why are we killing the cow? That feels like it's what we've been waiting for. If we eat it, if we use it, if we consume it, that's going to be best for us. But God's practice for his people is this. With that first thing that shows up, imagine that. In verse 14, he says, in days to come, when your son asks you, right? This is, he's asking you to look at this. A little kid's going to come along and say, hey, what does this mean? Why are we doing this? Logically to a kid, this doesn't make sense. Why? Because logically to an adult, save the grace and favor of God. None of this makes sense. Say to him, it's with a mighty hand that the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go. The Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeemed each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Listen, in, in these six weeks where we're talking about I love my church, we've, we've asked you to jump in and give to our new giving system. We've asked you to look for new ways to, uh, to contribute and to belong. Uh, we've asked for you to shift your giving. 
one of the things that I wanted us to do is not just remind you, oh yeah, this is a bookkeeping thing and it's, you know, you got to shift it over or else you don't, the money doesn't get used where we've been using it and we will have to, you know, figure that out. It's not to do that. The reason why we're bringing this up is because instead of just shifting, I'd love for you to re-remember why. To go back to the motive. To go back to the faithfulness. To go back to why we give. This isn't about taking up an offering for the church. It's about combining our generosity together and seeing how God multiplies his kingdom for our glory, or for his glory, his glory, his glory, his glory. Uh, one of the things that uh, Ray and I did, and this is probably seven years ago, uh, we, at the church we were at before, we shifted our giving, and that new system allowed for automated giving. Uh, and so one of the things that, uh, that, that for us was helpful uh, was this. It for us became a way for us to give our first fruits uh, because of direct deposit. By the time we wake up, the money's already come, and the first thing that goes out is the money that we tithe into the church. And for us, it's not lazy. I've heard people say, that sounds lazy. You need to actually give the check over. Well, what do you do in this time when they didn't have a check to give over, right? How, how do you give? How do you? It's, it's important. Why? Because it's the first thing. Not waiting until everything is spent and over and seeing what's left, and that belongs to God. It's giving to God on the front end so that everything else flows in line with what is left after the Lord. Does that make sense? And here's why. And it's not just money. I hope you hear me saying that. It's what we do with our time. It's what we do with ourselves. When you give your time, your money, your abilities, or anything else, would it be out of the same humble reminder that God gives us people? Because for you, it was with a mighty hand that God brought you out of your bondage of sin. The place of slavery. And when sin, your sin, refused to let you go, God's son was killed. Though he did no sin, he became sin for us. So that we could experience the goodness of this promised place that we walk in. We're not there yet, but we're already experiencing some of the goodness. And we're giving now because of what God's already done and what we have hope and trust and excitement that he's going to do. Because of what God's done, that's why we're generous. So church, let your first move be generous giving to the Lord with everything you have as a sign that the Lord has brought us out of his bondage with a mighty hand. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, God, would you, would you impress on us that reminder? Would you give us, would you give us that? God, help us to see what sometimes uh, we fail to see because like the seagulls, we just keep looking for mine, 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 mine. God, would you rope us back in to be able to see what your disciples saw in that temple where the rich were giving out of their abundance, but there was someone who was giving everything. God, would we become the kinds of people who are so overwhelmed by your goodness in our life that we return everything we have to you and say, God, would you take our time and would you shape it? Would you take our family's time and use it for your good? Would you take our resources and our finances and would you use it for your good? God, would you take who we are, the gifts and abilities and talents that you've given us, would you use it for your good? God, would we put our entire selves up on the altar as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to you 
that that would be our spiritual act of worship. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.